Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodeschicago.com. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble state of his servant. For behold, from now on all, generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercies is for those who fear him, and from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble state. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped the servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Amen. The word of the Lord. All right. And then, Kiki, how old are you again? Ten years old. All right. So uh, one of the reasons we had to come up is uh, we're looking at Mary's song today. Um, and when we talk about Mary, I may use the word Miriam. Actually, in the Hebrew, it was Miriam. Um, Mary was around 12 years old, they think. Um, so a lot of times we get this image of Mary as this grown woman. And Kiki's pretty tall for your age, right? Are you the tallest in your class? Well, yeah, tall as your class. So there you go. This is basically when you think of Mary, um, this is what I want you to imagine. Because this is the radical faith of a young girl who embodied and incarnated our Savior. So when we talk about Mary, we get a lot of crazy images. Thanks, Kiki. You can sit down. Give her a hand. So um, when we think of Mary, uh, I don't know what you think of, but we have some. I just Googled uh, Mary, mother of Jesus, and here's what comes up. Um, I don't know why, but her cheeks are always rosy. I don't know if she had rosacea or just got a blush or what. Um, but all these pictures of Mary are so inadequate. She's always got North Carolina blue on. Uh, um, I don't know why. She's got Carolina blue in every picture. Her clothes are like perfectly pleated. Have you ever noticed that? Like perfectly pleated. Um, and, um, and she's always somber, never joyous, never crack a smile. Um, uh, and so this is kind of like when we think of Mary, um, we get this image. Some of us are very anxious when we talk about Mary um, because of maybe like some background in the Catholic Church, but the Protestant Church has wildly ignored the life of Miriam. And, and what I want to say, man, this passage, I cannot do it justice. I just wanted to preach like five sermons of meditating on this song of Mary. Uh, I believe like there is like a, a, the spirit of Miriam is like a prophetic word for our church today. Uh, that the spirit of Miriam and what we're going to see in her song is a word for like 2020 for our church. Um, that, that is something that we are to pray through, wrestle through, engage in. You'll see what I'm going to talk about in a minute. Um, what I want to talk about is, is subversive joy. Um, because Mary's song is a revolutionary Christmas carol. It is, it is a subversive carol. It is a subversive song um, that, that she sings. Um, I don't know about you, but when's the, the last time you felt wild, wild celebration with no inhibition? Like, think about the time you had just the most wild celebration with no inhibition whatsoever. I, for me, my mind goes back to series winners, Chicago Cubs. I was in the basement of 1242 Addison, got there in the fifth inning because I knew that they could win. We all gather together. We're there. We're flipping over couches. I did one of these things. I slid face first onto the floor. We were going crazy just celebrating. We walk out. Taco Bell signs going down. Uh, people are climbing over poles. I mean, it is crazy, right? Wild in no inhibition celebration, right? Um, so when, I, when you think of Mary's song that she sang, 
that's kind of what I want you to experience and know what Mary was happening in her heart when she sings this song. Um, this is a sense of, 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 of wild inhibition. And I have three points today, and I'm already getting ahead of myself. Let me slow down. Mary. All right, let's get to who is she. She's a, she's a young girl, right? And she's leaving after she experiences, before the song, the encounter of Gabriel. Gabriel, the angel, comes to her and says, Blessed are you who the Lord has found favor on. And, and she tells him that she's going to be, she, even though she, she's, she's not betrothed, she's just newly betrothed, um, she's, she's not married, she says you're going to be uh, embody you know, the Messiah. And so she hears this news, she goes on a 70-mile trek. I just want you to put on your sanctified imagination with me for a minute. Because, like, can you imagine Mender Kiki up here, 12-year-old girl who, who, who hears this news, and just imagine, what is she thinking that she hears that you're going to give birth to the Messiah? What is she feeling? What did it cost her? What did it cost her to make this trek to believe this news? And so, you've got to imagine, it's, it says there, there's 70 miles when you see where she was born to where she goes to meet Elizabeth. And this trek would have been very, she's poor. She's part of what's called the Anawim, which was the Hebrew poor class that still believed in Yahweh. Uh, so that she was a part of this, this, this culture called the Anawim. They were known in, in as almost like a people group that, that were poor. And then she was not only that, she was occupied something we really don't, aren't familiar with. There was a um, Roman uh, regime had occupied Jews in which they were not free people. They were, they were people of the land that were occupied. So everywhere they went, there were soldiers guarding them, protecting them, watching over them, could encroach on their lives at any minute. So Mary, not only is she young, not only is she a, a poor woman, she's also occupied. And it wasn't safe for a betrothed woman to travel outside her village. And so she had a long time to think about Gabriel's words. So she hears these words, and she, before she sings this song, this song is rich, because I don't know if you read it, it's like, man, how could a 12-year-old poor peasant come up with, man, her diary is amazing. Like, you're like, how does that, but she was gleaning on such wisdom from the Old Testament. So she had 70 miles to, to meditate on, on the Hebrew Torah. 70 miles to, to ponder Hannah's song, who was barren, to ponder the other Miriam's song, her namesake, who sang with a tambourine after they were freed from Egypt, right? Do you remember that? They're part of the Red Sea. Exodus 15, Miriam shouts out in a subversive song of praise. God has saved us from our conquerors. So she has all this time to ponder all this rich theology in her heart and yet get to this place to put her own song to it. But not only... Did she have time to ponder the good news? She had time for other voices to whisper to her. Other whispers, the, 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 same, the same world hater, the enemy, who whispered to Adam and Eve, did God really say this? So she had 70 miles to, to hear the voice of the enemy. Like, did God really come to you and say that you would give birth to the Messiah? Did God really do that? Did he? I don't know if you, about you, have you ever heard that voice where God's told you plain as day to do something, to go and follow me, to do something radical for me, and that voice comes in your head and it's like, did God really say that? God, and the enemy says that. The enemy says, did God really say? And so she has all this time. Some of those doubts are ringing true for you. And so 
she meets her cousin Elizabeth, and Elizabeth affirms everything. She's like, Mary, my baby's going nuts in my belly, you know, like, my, my, I got jo- John, he's going to be the baptizer one day, and he's like leaping for joy, and Miriam, and she's like, I affirm everything that you've heard is correct, and then that's when Miriam burst out this, in this song. Now, I think we need to hear the Christmas story in fresh today truly was about this first radical revolutionary subversive joy. In verse uh, 47, back up on the screen, this is the beginning of her song. It says, my soul magnifies. That's what many call this song, the Magnificat. Uh, The Lord, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has looked on me. He has seen me and he's looked on the humble estate of his servant. So Mary here, the only people, that, this is amazing because um, she here is, is, is saying that, that, this, that God is, she's rejoicing, but why is she rejoicing? She says, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Now, a lot of us, when we think of God being mighty and doing great things for us, that's something we talk about a lot, but what I want to ask you today is, do you actually need God to be mighty? in your life. Because we can say God is mighty. We can praise God the mighty. There's a difference between being like, God is mighty. He's mighty to save. And there's a difference between that and you actually needing God to be mighty. You see, Mary needed God to be mighty, mighty in her poverty, in, in, her, in her essence of being, being a woman um, betrothed, but yet this crazy news that she was pregnant with the Messiah. Um, she needed a God to be mighty, but many of us, this is really, ra- I just need you to think about how radical this is, that we on the north side of Chicago are reading the diary of a peasant woman from first century. I just want you to think about how crazy that is. How crazy it is that we as privileged people are reading the diary of an immigrant from first century. That's wildly crazy and it's almost, um, it's subversive and even of its own self as what we're about to read. Um, The first thing I want you to see in this song is three things. First is wherever the kingdom breaks in, there's an outbreak of joy. Wherever the kingdom breaks in, there's an outbreak of joy. Mary is the very first person to make room for Jesus. The very first person to literally make room for Jesus. Like, every part of her is making room for Jesus to come in and have a home. And when she tells us this beautiful song, it's a prophetic word going out with the living word being incarnate right inside of her as she's speaking. You get that? Like, this is a prophetic word to power that she's about to speak out to, to the rich and the, and the poor. At the same time, the living word is being incarnate as she's speaking. What Mary was called to do is the same thing we're called to do, which is to receive and carry the life in Christ inside of her. That's the, the call of every believer. The same call of Mary to, to receive and carry the life of Christ is the same call for us, to, to receive and carry the, 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 the life of Jesus. So, Wherever the kingdom of God arrives, there's an outbreak of joy. You guys following me with that? Is that good news? So when God's kingdom comes into your life, joy always follows. There's a laugh, there's a dance, there's a shout, there's a praise. Whenever God's kingdom comes, if it's really there, there will be joy. That's why he says, I'm going to turn your mourning into joy. There's going to be times in our country where it feels on despair and it feels like it's mourning, it feels like death. There's going to be this remnant of people who are somehow radically joyful in the midst of it all. That's crazy. 
right? So wherever God's kingdom breaks out, so this is true all throughout. Now remember, Miriam's name, uh, it means rebel. I just love this. Think about the radical nature of this. To name, you're, you're a peasant family, a part of the Anawim, a part of the poor, and you are in occupied territory of the Roman regime empire, and you name your kid rebel. Now, come on. Now, that's, that's ballsy right there. That's, that, I don't know what else to call it, but that's, that's just nutso, right? And so she, she, they name her Miriam. Sorry, I didn't cut that from the tape. But, like, here, she's, like, totally... Like this rebel woman. Now, her namesake is Miriam. Exodus 15, Miriam gets a tambourine. They're free from the, Roman, from the Pharaoh, Pharaoh empire. She sings a song. Now, here she is singing a song. Now, so wherever the kingdom of God arrives, there's an outbreak of joy. Uh, look at uh, uh, Matthew 13, this parable, one of the shortest parables. It's just such a great verse. In Matthew 13, it says this beautiful thing. It says that there's, there's a treasure in a field, and... The kingdom of God is like a treasure of the field, and when one finds it, that person sells all they have for the joy of that treasure that they find in that field. And so wherever there, Luke 15, what does it say? It says, whenever one sinner repents, there's joy in heaven. So whenever the kingdom of God breaks into your life, there will always be joy. We talked about the first week that, that sadness will be one day no more. Um, and so... Um, this is the good news, that, that, that God's king. Now, when God's kingdom is arriving in you, we are to do the same thing like Mary. We are to break out in joy. And now, I think a lot of us are, are joy-blocked. A lot of us, uh, or we have superficial joy. I would just say for the lack of the fact of where we live on the north side of Chicago, we have a consumer joy. It doesn't abide in something deeper. Mary is crying out of this joy that transcends circumstance. And I ask this question, how is it that a story that begins in the margins and ends in the margins, Jesus being crucified, and is in front center addressed and circulated to those in the margins through the early church, how does it comfortably get appropriated to we the powerful? How does it get comfort- this message, subversive joy, this, this revolutionary carol, how does it get comfortable? And get appropriated and be like, well, is this what it really meant by we the powerful? This song challenges us to find a joy that is not at the center or the top, but can be found in the margins. And that's my second point. Is this outbreak of joy always comes, but the outbreak of joy comes from the margins. And that's my, I feel like why I said we need to have the spirit of Miriam for 2020, church. That, we, that, that for the next year, that God be cultivating this rest of this Advent season, um, that we would have the spirit of Miriam. That would be like this, this, this prophetic word for us, Miss Day. That we would have, the, that there, there would be joy that we would find when we get involved with those in the margins. Advent teaches us to see life through a different lens, especially during Advent. Advent teaches us to be patient with the God who takes his time. Advent tells us to put on different, to see life through different spectacles, to see life through the eyes of a teenage girl who's pregnant with the Messiah, to see lives through the eyes of an immigrant child, see the life through the spectacles of a, of a refugee fleeing for their life, to see eyes through the life of, a, of an occupied prisoner of their land. That kind of reality check of Advent pulls us out of our slumber of our affluence. 
our slumber of our fluence, that we could begin to live the rest of this Advent seeing and looking and hearing for the songs in our city that are being sung. The songs of Miriam that are being sung on the street, that we would then be like, I want to join in your song. I want to listen to your song because behind every song there's a story. Behind every song there's a story that we would begin to, to, to hear the cries, hear the longings, the hopes, and the dreams of the Miriam, the 13-year-old girls on the street, the, the poor, the immigrant, the refugee, the prisoner. This is subversive joy, and it's subversive joy because this is where we're going to find our joy. This is where we are going to truly find our joy that is truly joy, that is kingdom joy. Verse 49, this is the context of Mary's joy. She says that she was, that he looked upon me. He looked upon my lowly estate. And that word looked, he said that she has seen. My spirit rejoices in my God because he sees me. Now, this is, this part of the beauty of Advent is we are seen, all of us in this room. And we are, most of us in this room are often used to being seen, Right? We're all on Instagram, social media. We're used to that, right? But there are people in the world not used to being seen, not used to being taken seriously, and I think that's part of the mystery of Advent and Christmas, that God is paying attention to the margins. And this whole story, it starts in Exodus, and it carries through the Old Testament, and Mary is a part of this story. Listen to the rest of the song in verse 51. In verse 51, it says, He has shown strength with his arm, He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Mary's song is one of peace being brought to this world, this shalom that all things are as it should be. The same psalm of Isaiah 40 where the the mountains will be brought down low and the valleys will be raised up, that there will be equality across the board. This is Mary's subversive, joyful song. That she is singing and rejoicing. We've got to get uh, remember the earthiness of the gospel. The earthiness, that the gospel, yes, it, it does make us um, adopted sons and daughters, but it does this radical thing sociologically, that the systemic evils of this world, Advent is not just about us and God, it's three players, us, God, and the enemy. And that's why First John says, the re- next time you're at a party, be like, you know what the reason the season is? It's destruction. That's what, you know, First John says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The reason of the season is destruction. He came to destroy something. He became to destroy the principalities and the powers and the authorities that create systemic evil in this world. And that begins in a spiritual world. And Mary's song is that all is as it should be. Everyone included, everybody welcomed. Everybody treated as equal and with dignity. The distortion of humanity where we push some out and bring others into the center. Or we push some down and raise others up. That human scheme, Mary says, is done away with because of what is being incarnated in my womb. That kind of life, what does this have to do with, you're like, what does this have to do with Christmas? If you're asking that question, we've missed Christmas altogether. This has everything to do with Christmas. Everything to do with Christmas. We have got to recover an earthy gospel that causes a teenage woman who is on the run through her entire pregnancy on the run, gives birth to a child and can burst forth in song because of real liberation for her people. 
And so if we who know that kind of power and privilege are disconnected from the edge and the margins, if we are disconnected with that, if we don't see the Marys that God saw, the Miriams in this world, we, we're going we're to miss out on joy that's truly joy. We're going to miss out on opportunity. I mean, for me, I'm, I, I am with you in this wrestle. I'm not like, oh, I've arrived. I'm, so I want you to know I'm wrestling with you. I'm inviting you into wrestling this season because I miss some of the things I've experienced where, where, we were, where I was coaching football with, with people who are foster kids and, and ministering to them, where I was, um, we were going over the thresholds. And, and, man, we were leading this Bible study with people that were struggling with substance disorders. And, and man, the, the, the life is a highlight of my week because I was like, man, you and I are the same. You, who I'm talking to, are ministering to me. You are giving me joy. You are giving me life, and we are in solidarity right now. We are standing in complete solidarity as equals, and I'm learning from you that we all have the same fears, the same hopes, the same desires. And Mary begins to finally see that she is blessed. She is blessed. When we see people dancing in the streets, singing like Mary, it doesn't, if it doesn't cause us to want to join in, something is missing. And so I challenge you to let's have eyes to see and ears to hear, that, that we would have a, 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 the spirit of Miriam upon us, that we would have the sense of, of, of seeing these songs coming up from the margins and learning their songs so we can advocate for them and bring good news in the world. God's love is so rich for every single human being. And that is why it is an affront to God when people get pushed down and pushed out. And so as I wrestle, I invite you to wrestle. Because lastly, just the last point is there's the, the kingdom of God's already stirring. Already stirring in, in, in prisons and in, on the streets and, and, and in Chicago. So my question is, is, will we join in? Will we sing with them? Um, I want to tell you a story from um, Sarajevo. Uh, it's back, back in 1990s, there was the... the bombs and chaos and riots, Sarajevo was under siege. And there was this cellist of Sarajevo named Vedran Smolovich. And uh, Sarajevo was under siege. There's bombs going off all over the place, bombs all over, the, all over rubble all over the city. Um, and Sarajevo, uh, Smolovich was in his apartment, May 26, 1992. He was a cellist. He was rehearsing. And in his room, when he practiced, a bomb goes off on the on the right outside his building. And he puts on his suit, as you can see, and he gets, gets his suit on. Uh, he gets all dressed up in tails. goes right outside the rubble where these 22 people were killed in a bread queue waiting in line. And he gets out of his apartment. And for 22 days, he plays this song, the Adagio in G minor. He gets out and he gets into the rubble plays, 4 p.m., same time every day, same time every day to represent and stand in solidarity with these people. And for 22 days, the same thing, he does this. And, it, and what he does is he did this, you know, to, to kind of stand in solidarity with the people to kind of represent them. But it was totally like an act of defiance, like an act of, of defiant hope. And the people of Sarajevo found hope in this. They found hope that whatever that sound is, it's from another world. It's from another place. I want to go to that place. I want to go to that place. Not only do I want to go to that place, but I want there to come here. I want there to come here. And, 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 and this, this sound that we hear, a beautiful song, right? I had to get the effect so you could, you know, feel it. 
is that's, that's what I believe we are called to do, church. This is like a, a picture that we are meant to go out and have defiant joy. To we are to go out and create beauty and create defiant joy, defiant hope for people in the midst of the rubble. Amen? That, that, that there's, a, there's a kingdom joy, subversive joy that's stirring. My question is, are we going to join, join in? Um, how are we going to catch what God is stirring? Um, Mary hears news that this is going to break out in the world. She sings. Now, I want you to catch this. And band, you guys come up. This is, this is crazy. But I never thought about this. But just as I just began to, I never taught on this psalm. I never taught on this song before. I'm just meditating, meditating on it. And, you know, baby Jesus, <laughs> he probably, he, he had to be lulled asleep, right? He had, to, he, he had to be sung a song. How crazy is it to imagine that this was the song sung over Jesus' life, every day asleep. And that song got in Jesus' heart. And that song took over Jesus' life, that he lived his life as a song. He said in Luke 4, he says, my ministry is to set the captives free. My ministry is to, to, to feed the hungry, to, to give sight back to the blind. My ministry is going to be one in which I'm going to fulfill all of the Old Testament. And Jesus went on and he, he died, right? He, he died a painful death. Um, and I believe that during that painful death, Mary was probably no longer able to sing this song. But there was a time when Mary couldn't sing it. But she's like, you know, I don't know if God's mighty anymore. Now, we know the story. We know what happens, right? But Mary doesn't. Mary's son is dying on the cross. And she's like, I don't, know if God, I don't know if God is mighty. You said you were mighty, but I'm not seeing it. And at that moment, we see Mary in pain and aching did, and in questioning again, did God really say? Is this really true? When we have been brought low and our sin overwhelms us, we need a God who is not dependent on our but one who waits in the dark too. Jesus waited in the dark until the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead, until the Holy Spirit gave him life. And finally, Jesus crushed the head of that serpent that was whispering to Mary all along, did God really say? He crushed the head of the enemy. Did God really say? Yes, he did. Is God mighty? Yes, he is. Maybe have hit the breaking point. My question for you goes back to the very beginning is, do you need a God who is mighty? Not do you believe God is mighty, but do you, the God you believe in, do you believe he's mighty? Do you, y'all are going to make me preach old school. This thing going out. Do you need him to be mighty? Do you know your poverty? And until you know your poverty, you don't need God to be mighty. And the good news today is that God is mighty in the midst of all of our poverty. He is mighty. Amen? So we're going to stand in worship and pray and respond.